Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, guys? It's Joey. Welcome back to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This week, Faraz decided to go on vacation again, this time to Portugal. Last time it was Spain. The time before that, I don't even know. He's just hanging out with Von Miller in Cancun, wherever the hell it was. But uh, luckily for us, we have David here. David works with Faraz Upper Hand. He also works for Establish the Run. He does a lot for them there. So, David, appreciate you coming on here. And uh, we're going to talk some NFC South. Yeah, of course. Let's get right into this. Awesome. Awesome. So when, when did you start working with Faraz on the Upper Hand account, by the way? Right. So uh, just recently, like two, three weeks ago, I remember like two years back, uh, I reached out to him asking to help him out because I, I just really like the brand as a whole. And at the time, he didn't really need the help. But now that we're trying to really take this to the next level, I'm on board now and we're going to see where exactly we can take it. Dude, I, I just got to say your voice is like you could you could be a voice actor for like Batman, right? Like you could be the next like, oh, man, cartoon that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> you just got that nice dark raspy voice so i'm just saying if if fantasy football in a couple of years if it's not doing it for you you can definitely pursue that i think that's something that might be interesting <laughs> for you i'll definitely consider it hopefully the fans like this pod we'll see how it goes awesome awesome so we're going to start off before we go into the nfc south we're going to look at some of the around the league news uh we're going to start off with one of the more recent things being kenny galladay is supposed to be out for two to three weeks from now with a hamstring. I feel like a lot of people, when they see these updates and they see two to three weeks, they automatically think it's going to be the NFL season. They automatically think, oh, Kenny Galladay is not going to be back to week four. He's going to miss, you know, weeks one and two. That's not the case, guys. It, it, it means from now. So Kenny Galladay, he's not going to be injured, at least we hope, when the season starts. Um, I, he wasn't too much on my radar. I don't, I've done a couple drafts. I haven't drafted on any teams. Are you a fan of Kenny Galladay? Is the hamstring something that you think is going to nag him throughout the season? Just kind of an easier situation to avoid. Man, uh, this might just be a total donkey move, but I am bullish on this Giants offense. I'm probably going to pay the price for it, but I'm not worried about this injury two to three weeks. I mean, what the season starts in five weeks, uh, that won't yeah. be an issue. I'm a little worried for the uh, their chemistry, both Danny Dimes and Kenny G. Um, starting off the season, I've read some reports that it's just not been there. But, uh, I mean, man, he's such a big play guy, and Danny Dimes has been so efficient on the deep ball. It's the only part of, the, of his game that he's good at. So, man, it looks like a match made in heaven, but it's not looking too great right now. 
Yeah, and I think uh, what you're saying is true. The deep ball has always really worked out for Daniel Jones, if anything at all has really worked out for him. And even in Darius Slayton's rookie year, you know, they were able to establish connection during the season. And, uh, you know, if you had Darius Slayton, you benefited from that. So I think even now with Kenny Galladay being out, there's potentially a chance during the year for them to start creating that chemistry. So it's never too late for that. Um, another thing I want to talk about is Deshaun Watson. There's been some rumors flying around recently that the Panthers are eyeing him, uh, that the Philadelphia Eagles are close to a trade. But as of right now, there is no trade imminent with Watson. There are no talks heating up. At least that's what the recent reports say. And I, I believe that too. It's hard to move a guy who has 22 sexual assault charges pending against him. I mean, how do you value that? This is a guy who could be on the commissioner's exempt list and not be play for one or two years. I don't know how you trade away three first round picks and viable starters for a guy like that. It just doesn't make sense right now to trade for Watson. Um, so I have no idea what 2021 is going to have in store for him. Uh, do you still see him as if you're maybe like picking like the 15th round, 14th, 13th round, is he someone past the 10th? I'll just say who you're interested in grabbing with the upside. If he does play, or is he someone you're completely avoiding? You know, in season long leagues, I I'm probably just avoiding him as a whole. <laughs> just the situation's not great in best ball leagues, especially the tournament leagues where the payout's top heavy, you, I'm taking tons of bullets on him on the 17th, 18th round. Uh, his upside's just incredible in those formats. But, you know, season long, I, I'm not too interested. There's one thing, I'm, dude, this could be a conspiracy for all I know. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. But apparently all the girls or all the, the lawyer representing all the girls, all, like I think there's 16 girls that this one lawyer represents is the same lawyer for um, the owner of the Texans. So I don't know if that conflict Whoa. of interest. I don't know if the – have you seen anything about that? No. This might be super galaxy brain. But, <laughs> uh, you know, what if the owner just wants to shun out and, and is trying to get him out that way? I, I don't know. Um, I, I, need, I need to look more into that. That could just be total cap, so don't take too much word <laughs> into that. But, yeah, best ball leagues, I'm definitely taking some shots on him. Season long, uh, I'll, I'm probably staying away. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I want to, I, I got to look more into that because if that's really true, if, that, if he's the same lawyer, there's definitely a conflict of interest there. There's definitely a lot of conspiracy going on, yeah. <laughs> but talking about huge upside Trey Lance over the last oh, couple man. of practices, this dude's been ripping it. He's been killing it. He's exceeding expectations. He's offering advice and helping other people on the team. He's doing more research than any other player. Trey Lance is far and away exceeding all expectations right now. Is there a chance? Do you believe he could start week one? I think at least, you know, by week three or four, he's easily going to be the starting guy for the rest of the year. But is week one a possibility, or do you think they're going to stick to Jimmy Garoppolo? Man, if I'm the Niners, you, you got to start him off the rip. I mean, this man just opens up the offense with his ability to rush. Um, they do start the uh, – the or their schedule pretty easy. They open up with the Lions. I mean – probably a pretty easy game for Jimmy G, but man, he's my most owned QB in best ball. He he's going to go absolutely nuclear the second he touches the field. Absolutely. That's the expectation for a lot of people. And we've been talking about Trey Lance on this podcast for a while. Like you guys got to grab Trey Lance in every draft you can, even if you can't start in week one, or if you have to stream quarterback until Trey Lance is the starting guy, 
that's still one of your best options because you can get Trey Lance right now in the 12th, 13th round and then get another quarterback 16th round, then drop them after two weeks. And guess what? You have a QB one for the rest of the year. So draft Trey Lance. That's basically the point of this. Um, Another guy doing very well in practice, Darnold Parham. Um, I've been in favor of Darnold Parham over Jared Cook. A lot of people see Jared Cook as the tight end to get there. But Donald, Par- Donald Parham is in for an expanded role. This guy is huge, six foot eight. He caught more touchdowns <laughs> than Evan Ingram last year. I mean, this dude went nuts with Hunter Henry out, and uh, especially in the XFL, if you're familiar with him for that one season, he was the best tight end in that league. So I think he's got a ton of upside. And just imagine if he really does become the starting tight end. With Hunter Henry gone, he might have some week-to-week value. It's not hard to be a top-10 tight end in fantasy. Do you see Donald Parham as someone who's worth taking a stab on on the later rounds? Man, yeah, Donald Parham, he, he's an ETR favorite. He's the poster boy for the penis size model. This dude is just a for the fucking what? beast. The penis size model, PSM. <laughs> have you heard of it? Yeah, you got to look at this ETR. Yeah, this dude's just an absolute freak. <laughs> no, it's just a, a little uh, running joke at ETR that Adam always says. But, uh, man, this dude has insane upside for his price. Jerry Cook, I mean, I don't think he's dust or anything. But, man, if you have a six, seven, six, eight guy and you got Justin Herbert's arm, like, man, you just got just to yuck it to him. Like, it's an easy target. Um, I know you've been on his train for a while now, which is, I mean, I love that. I love the player. I love the prospect. Uh, I used to play him in XFL DFS. So, I mean, he has a special place in my heart. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to tell me more about that penis rule when this is over. I'm really curious. (laughs) But we'll talk, we'll talk about the penis. We'll we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later when the recording stops, of course. But Let's let's talk about uh, the last bit of news here before we move on to the NFC South. Quentin Nelson. I don't know if on the last podcast with Faraz, if we mentioned the Carson Wentz injury, but Carson Wentz has a foot injury. He had surgery. He's expected to be sidelined from anywhere from five weeks to 12 weeks. And Quentin Nelson just recently, the same exact injury. So it seems in the same exact timelines of five to 12 weeks, this obviously does not help Jonathan Taylor with just the Carson Wentz news. I wasn't willing to move Jonathan Taylor down all that much. I thought he'd still be involved and whether it's Sam Ellinger or Jacob Eason throwing him the ball. I felt like Jonathan Taylor could have still had value, but now with Quentin Nelson gone, this goes from the best offensive line in the league to probably somewhere in the middle of the pack. I mean, they still have other good pieces, but you know, don't get it wrong. Quentin Nelson holds this line together. So without those two guys, and by the way, five to 12 weeks, and this is again, from the start of the injury, that's going to take them at minimum maybe week one or two and at most the middle of August, which is not good. It's going to, we're going to have to see who lands in the pup list, who stays in the pup list. Uh, how does this affect Jonathan Taylor? Is he still worth the first round pick? If you ever viewed him that way? Cause I know for us personally, he viewed Jonathan Taylor as someone who was outside the top 10 for him. Yeah, no, uh, I'm on, I agree with for us. Uh, I've been fading him all season. Uh, I've done like, oh God, this sounds ridiculous, but I think I've, almost 150 underdog drafts and I have him in maybe like six. So I'm not a big JT stand even before the big Q news, but now, man, I just, I, you just can't take him. You know, that is such a strong point was the O line. And now that's just shattered. Uh, I mean, the volume will be there, but I don't think the ceiling is nowhere near as what it was a week ago. 
I'm personally fading him. And man, I'm I want a lot more Naheen Hines now after this news. Yeah, you think they're gonna have to jump off the ball more and Naheem Hines might be better fit for that? Yeah, hopefully. Actually, right when uh, Carson Wentz got injured, I took the Colts to be the worst team in the league at 250 to one odds. Ooh. And then the big cute thing happened the next day. And I was like, wow, this is maybe we're like a Darius Leonard in- injury away from this becoming like a real, <laughs> yeah. a real bet. So uh, I'm all in favor for the Colts disasters. Um, but yeah, I just don't view JT as that guy too much. Uh, work is going to get lost in Naheen Hines. And now that the O-line won't be as efficient, the offense as a whole takes a hit. Uh, I'm not buying the price. I'll consider it maybe mid-second round. I've seen him fall to the third and some 12-man bust balls. But, yeah, in season long, I'm staying away. Understood, understood. I think I'll still be taking Jonathan Taylor beginning of the second based on volume and talent. But, again, he's definitely fallen off my draft board quite a bit. Man, Marlon Mack apparently looks good, too. I mean, that could be totally – I mean, it could just be the beat riders doing their thing. Yeah. <laughs> if Marlon Man. Mack looks good right now, I'm buying all the Cam Akers for 2022. Oh, it's a perfect perfect <laughs> study on what we should do with Cam Akers next year. It's it's wonderful. Exactly. I mean, man, if Marlon Mack takes five, ten carries a game, that's – plus the catches from Nanny Hines, man, I'm starting to get a little worried. But that's getting really deep into that. I'm fading JT. <laughs> the right price, yeah, I'll take him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, let's dig into the NFC South. We're going to start with the New Orleans Saints. We're going to jump right in here. Um, The quarterback situation. At first, last week, Taysom Hill had first team reps. And we're all like, oh, here it goes. Taysom Hill's the guy. And now James Winston had first team reps. And James Winston has looked very good in practice. So other than, you know, that one drill where he's trying to run. (laughs) If If you don't know what I'm talking about, just google james winston i guarantee you would be the first thing you see him in the red no, no contact jersey trying to bust through whatever drill that is and just getting stuck in it is hilarious but um <laughs> talk about these quarterbacks do you view Taysom hill as some sort of value because you can get him later and he still has a chance to be the starter or are you on okay as 100 percent going to be winston because for me I'm kind of going back and forth and a lot of people have said I'm crazy for this, but would you be surprised if there was some kind of quarterback rotation, if there was some kind of James Winston is the starter, but Taysom Hill sees more pass attempts than he would if it was breeze, right? Cause Taysom Hill every once in a while would come in and do some pass attempts. But with a guy like Winston, I think it's a lot easier to interchange Taysom Hill into that role as well. So how do you feel about this quarterback room? Yeah, man, this is just – this is some ugly football we're about to watch, man. I, this might be uh, the New England Patriots of last year, but it's just so hard to project. And when you're trying to see who's going to start, it just affects so many different players on this roster. I'm personally on the boat where since the Michael Thomas injury, I think Taysom just needs to start outright. And they just need to base their offense around that rushing game. Just give Latavius Murray 15 carries. Give Kamara more carries and then just use Taysom Hill almost as if you were using Cam Newton last year, but you know, you would hope it'd be a little bit better. This offense is going to be absolutely abysmal to watch. I think, and I think they have like seven primetime games. God kill me. That's just going to be awful. Um, I do think we'll see a little bit of a timeshare, especially when um, the saints are in a negative game script. It kind of might be like, you know, if they're playing an easy team, we'll see a lot of Taysom Hill. Where they're playing a difficult team, we'll see more Jameis Winston. But, man, from a week-to-week projection, this is just going to be absolute ass. Um, I do like taking some stabs on Taysom 
uh, in the late round. I don't think the market is really valuing, valuing uh, his ability to start. He's still getting valued as if he he's not going to play. He's going to have the same role as last year. But, I mean, it's probable that it, that role gets expanded. Um, so, yeah, some dark throws on Taysom. I do like taking him and maybe pairing him up with, like, Trey Lance or one of the, like, Justin Fields. And just hope uh, Taysom Hill plays a couple weeks and then I can just fit in the rookie QBs I like. But, yeah, this is just a disaster as a whole. Absolutely. It, it's looking that way. and We want more clarity. But good news for us is training camp just started a week or two ago or <laughs> however long it's been at this point. It's all kind of a blur when it comes to leading up to the football season. So, yeah, it's looking a little messy right now. But let's talk about Michael Thomas. You brought that up. Um, he's expected, from the report I saw, he's expected to be out six to eight weeks to heal. And then another six to eight weeks after that, just to kind of get into football shape. So he just had surgery. He was holding off on surgery because he wasn't sure if he was going to go through with it. And then he said, fuck it, I'll do it. And then guess what? He does it in July. Sean Payton's not happy. I mean, look, six to eight weeks to heal, another six to eight to get right. Let's call it a minimum of 12 weeks from July 25th, which is when I saw this report. That's like mid-October to worst case, late November, and then worst, worst case, never. Because if this really is an abysmal offense, and then he's going to be back late November, and this, you know, it's kind of like Joe Mixon last year. He was practicing, he was ready to come back, but there was just no point in him returning and potentially re-injuring himself. So there's an actual world where Michael Thomas doesn't even play a single game this year. And uh, I, I think that really has to weigh into his draft price. Right now, I've seen him go end of the sixth, beginning of the seventh, based on the fact that he's expected to miss at least six weeks being on that pup list. Are you targeting Michael Thomas in drafts? Or what? how far does he have to fall for you to bite on him in redraft? Okay, right. In redraft, hell no. I'm staying away. Um, man, you're going to really need those waiver spots those first couple of weeks. And I, I just can't. I can't justify holding him on my bench on an offense that can just be absolutely awful and he can come back and just not be efficient um, or at least more efficient than he was uh, previously. Um, Now, if you have an IR spot in your season long leagues, uh, the situation is different. I would consider taking him in that scenario in the seventh to eighth round only because of that IR spot though. If you don't, it's a huge fade for me. And best ball, uh, I'm taking some stabs at him in like the seventh, eighth round, but I'm not excited about it, you know. It's just he's like there, so it's like ah, best ball if he plays. That's a huge value later on, but not excited about uh, Michael Thomas. No, um, it's sad. <laughs> Slant man can't do it again. But... <laughs> Slant man can't do it. <laughs> now, outside of Michael Thomas, are there any of these receivers that you think could step up? I think we, we thought that um, maybe the, the Saints would make a move for a wide receiver with Michael Thomas being out, but instead they got Chris Hogan, who I think is also playing lacrosse. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Professional lacrosse, by the way, which is very yeah. cool. I'm, I'm not like, a, I've never played lacrosse or anything, but I think it's like the first pro, pro lacrosse league. So good for yeah. him. But um, from what I've seen, Marquez Callaway has impressed at times. Traquan Smith is also there. I mean, is there anyone here that, sticks out to you and is worth taking a jab on later in the draft at these prices no i mean the market 
is inflating these players' values as if Traquan Smith, Marquez Callaway is going to come in and take that Michael Thomas role. I just don't see that happening. I don't see Traquan Smith commanding a 30% target share. What I do see is more likely is that they go super run heavy and it kind of ends up, like I said, a New England situation where we'll see some spike weeks from players like Jacoby Myers last year. But man, I, from a week-to-week consistency, and especially in redraft, I, I just don't want any part of any of these receivers. Yeah, I, I feel that. And I think it's going to come down to ADP, and, you know, those things are kind of still shaking out right now. I mean, Michael Thomas is still falling, and based on the reports we hear, hey, we get one report saying Marquez Callaway looks amazing in camp. It also takes is one Marquez Cal- Callaway is turning heads in camp. And that's the word, turning heads, right? It takes one of those, and then he's a ninth rounder. And that's, you know, that, that's all you need to know. So I'm okay taking a stab at either Trey Quan Smith or Marquez Callaway wait late, but this is going to be Alvin Kamara. This is going to be a run-heavy offense, like you said. But let's talk about Alvin Kamara now. So a lot of people seem to think that Alvin Kamara plus Taysom Hill equals – don't draft Alvin Kamara. And that's, you know, ultimately just not true, especially with Michael Thomas out on top of that. Um, with the first two games of Taysom, Kamara only played 48% of the snaps, large part because he was banged up. And this is a, mm. uh, a stat from Fantasy Full Expert on Instagram, but he played 48% of the snaps compared to the 71% he played in that last game with Taysom when he was actually healthier. And in that game, he had seven out of 10 targets. So, Add that on top of the fact that Michael Thomas is going to be out potentially for the whole entire year. He could see an insane target share. He's going into the year healthy. Uh, I think Kamara is definitely worth that top three pick. And I think he even garners an argument for that top two. I mean, Chris McCaffrey is pretty firm at number one. But yeah, dude, I mean, between him and Dalvin Cook, I think there's an argument for him being number two in PPR, PPR Mm. specifically. But what are your feelings on Kamara? Do you feel like we should be avoiding him in that top three? Or do you think he could play up to expectations? Oh, man, you might hate me for this. But I think <laughs> I think Kamara might just be the poster child for just do not draft this season. Really? Uh, man, it's just – I know the narrative about his target share and everything. That's just miscued because, I mean, the one game they played against the Broncos and that was just a shit fest. I'm not even going to count that in the sample size. Sure. And, yeah, the sample size is small. You got three games. And it, that targets do average out where it, it is okay. But I don't know. This offense could just be really, really stale. I know the rushing attempts will probably tick up a bit. And maybe the targets fall. I I don't know. It, the upside is certainly there. Don't get me wrong. It's Alvin Kamara. And he ha- doesn't have Michael Thomas. If Sean Payton's smart and gives him 12 targets a game and uses him as a wide receiver one, you know, he's going to be an absolute smash spot again. But scoring 16 touchdowns last year and what should be a less efficient offense, maybe I, I just can't. I, I would just rather have Zeke or Derrick Henry at three over him. But man, it, it, fading Kamara, it's like you're asking to get shot. It's it's not a smart strategy, <laughs> but you got to fade one of these guys. We've been doing it for years, dude. We've been doing it. It, it seems like every single year we're like, oh, can Kamara really like do it again. Like let's put him at like six or seven and then, Oh, look, he's top three again. And it's like, Oh, well this year, you know, he's got this working against them. Drew Brees might retire. They got Michael Thomas there. Oh, let's put him outside the top five. Oh, look, he finished top three again. Last year he finished number one. So, you know, ultimately for me, 
I'm done downing Alvin Kamara. <laughs> like you said, it's asking to get shot. I feel like I've learned my lesson. This is still a very, very, very good offensive line. So mm-hmm. he has that working for him. Um, and really all they need to do is give Jameis Winston or give Taysom Hill enough time to get the ball to Kamara, which shouldn't be an issue. I, I think, like you said, he could get upwards of 10 plus targets a game. And if that really is the situation, I mean, think about it. If they throw the ball 30 times a game, I, I don't see a situation where 20 other targets go to anyone else. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, I mean? it's just with Michael Thomas there, it's so hard to imagine him not seeing this insane target share. So I, I'm perfectly fine in a PPR league, specifically drafting Camaras, that top three. Yeah, the touchdowns could still go down, but they still have a great offensive line. They still have a good duo with him and Latavius Murray. I think they'll make it work. And I think ultimately he'll end up being that guy. So I'm all in on Camara top three. You might feel differently. That's fine. But I know there's also another player we disagree with, which is Adam Troutman. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> getting started on this one, but I'm not over the top in love with Adam Troutman. As of right now, I do have him as a sleeper. And again, it's just kind of a situation where Michael Thomas isn't there. There's this open vacated role of, Hey, whoever wants to come up and, be that guy can potentially get a huge target share in this offense. And Adam Troutman going to year three, no more Jared Cook, no Josh Hill. He's got this opportunity laid out in front of him to be a top 10 tight end. And again, it's not hard to be a top tight end and fan- top 10 tight end in fantasy football. It's really not. All you need is three or four games of 15 points. And then, you know, you can do whatever the rest of the year. I, I think Troutman has that opportunity. How do you feel about Troutman? Give it to me straight. What, what do you got against my boy Troutman here? Man, the fantasy community just really, really loves this guy. And God, I, I just feel, I really think the field just overestimates their ability to really identify talent in these players and project their roles, right? So for example, last year, every donkey on fantasy Twitter was all about Jace um, Sternberger on the Jace Sternberger, yeah. Like this man has third round or third round draft capital there's no one else on the roster it's a pass heavy offense or what should be you know he's gonna be absolute gold mine for where he's going and then he comes out and doesn't do shit and big rob ton just comes in and dominates and man i just we didn't see anything from troutman last year maybe i'm just a little biased because i started him one week in dfs and he goose egged <laughs> me he gave me a zero which i mean you know how hard it is to get zero points like you you gotta try to not you know what anything. i'll tell you what i had this roster last year top to bottom spectacular and i was like okay jordan akins had a couple good weeks in a row let me throw him in and he goose egged he i, <laughs> I watched him drop a touchdown pass where he was wide open i literally watched it happen which could have won me I don't even know how many dollars, but <laughs> I digress. Besides the point, right? It, it's just <laughs> painful. But like, you know, for all we know, this is another Jay Sternberger situation where another tight end comes in and just takes all the targets that we think are getting allocated to Adam Troutman. Nick Vanette just signed three-year million dollar, $3.8 million guaranteed signing. That's, that's some heavy – heavy numbers for a backup tight end supposedly is he in a situation where he can come in and do the big Rob Ton role and just completely does the Troutman lovers. Maybe I think it's worth considering, but man, even as bearish I am on this offense, I, I just can't 
justify taking Troutman over someone like Irv Smith or hell, even Evan Ingram or I'm on team fade for him. I see the upside, but I also think the bearish scenario is a lot more likely to happen than what the field's projecting uh, to happen. So for me, I understand what you're saying. And I've seen the same exact Jay Sternberger argument on Twitter. But my (laughs) response is that like, I really don't think Nick Vanette is a Rob Tanyan. Like Rob Tanyan, I believe he was on the second, like last year was the second or third year of his deal or they re-signed him or whatever the situation was. Um, Rob Tanyan himself, he went to Iowa, I believe. And, and I mean, those Iowa tight ends. Those Iowa tight dude, they're, they're built different. I don't know what the hell they feel. Exactly. There, but. Noah Fant, him, TJ Hawkinson. So like these Kittle. guys are just built different. So I, I personally was avoiding Jay Sternberger last year. I didn't see him as a value. I wasn't necessarily looking at Rob Tanyan as a guy who could break out. I don't think a lot of people saw much of that coming, but at the same time, like I, I, I just didn't think Jay Sternberger was in a position to lead this offense with Devonte Adams and whatever else they had going on. But I think this is kind of different, right? Even if Troutman hasn't really proved anything yet, he's going to year three and Nick Manette, rather than being on the rise He's kind of been tossed around to different teams on in his career. And this is a Saints team with no Jared Cook, no Josh Hill. They have no veteran presence in that tight end group. And I think Vanette's kind of just that guy. So um, I definitely see what you're saying. I'm still taking a stab on Trout because, like I said, it's not hard to be a top 10 fantasy tight end. And right, because yes. of the upside he possesses, I think he's well worth a shot in the 13th, 14th round. Um, I do have him behind Irv Smith, though. I will okay, say yeah. I have him in front of Evan Ingram just because I know you're really high in this Giants offense. That's I'm not as high on Daniel Jones, but um, <laughs> that's just how I feel about that. That's the New Orleans Saints. Let's move on to the Carolina Panthers. From my understanding, we talked a little bit before this started. You are very bullish. Uh, you feel the same way about Sam Darnold as you do about Daniel Jones. <laughs> and like, you, believe just... in this, <laughs> you believe in this Panthers offense. I'm a Patriots fan. Faraz is a Jets fan. Um, I was at that game when Sam Darnold was seeing ghosts. I can, I can confirm there were no ghosts on the field, (laughs) you know, that 33 to zero game. It's just so hard to look at Darnold and be like, yeah, like I understand he has huge upside. He has got, he's got Chris McCaffrey. They have a decent offensive line. Nothing special. Uh, They have great weapons with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall, and I fully understand all of that, but there's a, there's a possibility where this guy just completely flops this like he has been over the last couple of years. So give me a little, uh, why are you high on this Panthers offense? Okay. So last year we saw the corpse of Teddy B support, <laughs> support both DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson all in, I believe top 24 roles. Uh, that's going off memory. That could be certainly wrong. But the point is they were all fantasy viable with the corpse that is Teddy B. Um, there were 10 touchdowns, 10, between between those three wide receivers, which is just, man, you, you almost have to try to do that, to score that little touchdowns. This offense last year, for fantasy purposes, was decent. And now you bring in an upside guy, who has had Adam Gase, the donkey of Adam Gase. Man, I hate that guy. 
more than anyone in the world. You and donkeys, dude. Dude, I, I, I gotta get it out of my vocabulary. I just <laughs> ah fuck. Um, but yeah, what Sam Donald's what twenty four years old. He he's getting drafted as the QB thirty two. Like there's some rookie QBs that are getting taken ahead of him, rightfully so. But uh, God, their easy their uh, early season schedule is so so goddamn easy. They play the Texans. They play the Lions. I, it's just. They go, uh, they go Jets, Saints, Texans, Cowboys, Eagles, Vikings, Giants, Falcons, which on paper right now sounds amazing. That sounds like <laughs> Sam Darnold can sustain his three wide receivers. Um, but yeah, Teddy B scoring 19 point or 17 points per game last season has little rushing upside. I think last year we saw a little bit of that sneaky rushing floor that Sam Darnold has. Uh, and then you get Christian McCaffrey back and then, I mean, I'm a big Joe Brady stand, so that could I could be a little biased with that. But dude, last year they were 18th in passing yards and 14th in yards per attempt. It's pretty average. And then you return CMC, you get Terrence Marshall, a big slot guy. You get someone who's supposed to be better than Teddy B and who has a much higher ceiling. Um, and he and he escapes from Adam Gase. So would I be surprised if we saw like a Ryan Tannehill type of ascension? career revival from Sam Darnold? No. Is it likely? Uh, I think it's worth the stab because at least with the receivers, you know, this offense can sustain the three, the three guys with McCaffrey, you know, they're going to put up some points. If you want to take a stab on Sam Darnold, that's a different question, but as a whole, I'm bullish on this Panthers offense. Their defense is still really young. We can see them, you know, we can see them throw a lot. Um, Man, I'd be lying if I was saying I didn't like my 80 to 1 bet for Sam Darnold to lead, lead the league in passing. Ooh. Hey, you know, it's, and I'll say, like, Teddy Bridgewater, he was really a corpse of himself, as you mentioned. Um, just 16 touchdowns thrown between Teddy Bridgewater and PJ Walker. And even with that, Robbie had 14 points per game and Moore had 14.1 points per game. Curtis Samuel up there as well. So, I mean, if we think Sam Darnold can throw at least 25 touchdowns in 17 games with Joe Brady and Chris McCaffrey back, I think that's very possible. You know, and the yardage he's going to get on top of that could propel him into being a top 15 quarterback for fantasy football. So I definitely understand that even if he's not crazy efficient, right? He doesn't have to be a great quarterback. He just kind of has to play the offense correctly he kind of has to just take joe brady's word dump it off to cmc you know hit dj Moore in stride so it it shouldn't be that hard for him to do that yeah i mean and like i like you said like this offense i mean th- these weapons are going to do most of the work you know sam Darnold yeah. can throw for 300 yards and just have dj Moore and cmc yak 150 of those yards you know it's going to be it, it should be relatively easy for him but then again we're also betting on sam Darnold. So how far did that really get you? I mean, like I mentioned before, I really think us as fantasy players, we just tend to overestimate how well we can evaluate talent. For all we know, I mean, for how Sam Donald's getting valued, he can be an absolute smash spot. And if you want to completely wait on your QBs in your league, um, you know, taking Sam Donald with that easy uh, schedule to start the season and then pair him up with Justin Fields or Trey Lance, one of these QBs who have, you know, top five QB upside, that's a smart idea. Don't invest a lot of draft capital in your QB position, but you also are getting the same upside as you were drafting Lamar, Kyler, Dak. 
Um, it's not pretty and it will probably burn me, but I'm taking my Sam Donald shots this year. I respect it. I respect it. And it's funny you mentioned that because one of the things that I've been preaching on this podcast over the last couple of weeks is rather than taking a Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, one of these guys in the fifth or sixth round, I like to go and I'm Patriots fan, so maybe there's some bias here. Cam Newton and Trey Lance, right? Because Cam Newton last year, even at times, was a top 10, top 15 quarterback rushing alone. His situation got so much better. So if you start off with Cam Newton and then you end the year with Trey Lance, you could have a QB1 for 17 games without missing a beat. So it's the same type of idea you're talking about. Sam Darnold with that early schedule, and I don't see him being benched for anyone behind him. So, yeah, you could have a essentially a QB1 for the entire year without spending a top five, top six pick. So I love that you said that. Um, Chris McCaffrey, number one overall pick. Is that, there any argument against no, that? No. 100%. I mean, no argument against it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. What, who's no, uh, if you If you aren't taking him on, uh, I don't know, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, That's honestly, it. I don't even think there's too much to add to it. He had like 30 <laughs> plus points per game, the three games that he played last year. Yeah. I mean, this dude came straight off injury and they just were so willing to give him every single touch he could take. And uh, that just kind of speaks to what they're going to do with him this year. So still Joe Brady. Uh, I'm taking CMC one overall. I'm not worried about the injuries or anything like that. Uh, in terms of these wide receivers, you got DJ Moore, you got Robbie Anderson, and you have Terrace Marshall, who's been making a name for himself recently. Apparently, he's been doing very, very good in practice. My only concern about Terrace Marshall, he has a little bit of an injury history from college. And on top of that, you know, he's going to have to be competing with Robbie Anderson. He's going to have to be competing with DJ Moore for these targets. And most importantly, because last year it was possible when it was Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. But now you're going to throw CMC into that mix. And CMC is truly the number one target on this team. So um, I, I don't know how I feel about these receivers. I think the added touchdowns will kind of take away some of those lessened target shares for DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and those guys. But uh, overall, DJ Moore, the fifth round, Robbie Anderson, where is he being drafted right now? Like the seventh? It's like sixth, sixth seventh turn, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm okay with those values. I don't think they're being overvalued at all. Uh, are you significantly high in any of these receivers? Are you willing to take a shot at them where their prices are? Yeah, no. So that trio, is, I mean, they're, I own a lot of them in best ball. I, they might be my top three most owned receivers, but it's a different story in best ball. You know, like sure. in season long, I, I don't feel, I love DJ more, but I don't feel great starting him every week. I, you get a little bit of, like, it's a little easier in best ball, right? You, you don't have to pick anyone. Um, I probably will end up fading DJ Moore in season long just because of the players that are going around him. Um, I am a big Terrence Marshall man, though. Uh, I think he can go absolutely nuclear this year in this offense. I mean, he went crazy with Joe Brady uh, with his time at LSU. They already have that chemistry together. Um, And really, I mean, obviously injuries are a concern. Um, But man, the really the only argument against him is that he didn't produce that much in college, but I think it's getting taken a little out of context when you're playing with, you know, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Yeah. It's going to be hard to put up some crazy numbers with them there. That being said, I think he's worth it. Like your last pick in the, in the draft, you know, if this offense, I mean, I'm already bullish on the Panthers as a whole passing wise. So with that thesis, I should be taking shots on it. Um, but yeah, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, I'll take them at value. I'm not, 
over overly excited taking them um, at their ADP, but I mean, you, you know what you're getting out of them. And DJ Moore does have that touchdown upside that he's just ran so, so poorly with I, what, like under four touchdowns his whole career. I mean, yeah. one of these seasons, he's going to blow up and <laughs> double that. So, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, look, DJ Moore, if I'm taking a stab, if I'm drafting any of these wide receivers, it's going to be DJ Moore. He had the six most deep targets last year. He had 26, uh, the fifth most air yards, but you know, the knock against him, he had 10 drops. He had 10 drops last year, which is not good. And that could have played a part in missing out a lot of those touchdowns. So it's tough. Like you can play the ADP game and you can take Terrace Marshall with your last pick and say, okay, this is my Panthers wide receiver. You can take Robbie Anderson in the seventh to say, maybe he's got that connection with Sam Darnold. He has a chance to pop off. And then you could say, oh, you know, DJ Moore, he's the forefront of this wide receiver group. I could take him in the fifth round. So I don't, I don't hate any of these prices. I don't know if I'm necessarily targeting anyone. But, again, I, I don't hate Terrace Marshall at the end of my draft just because of the pure upside being reunited with Brady. Um, Joe Brady, rather. <laughs> Joe <Yeah>. Brady. <laughs> Clarify, it's not Tom. It's not Tom. Um, last thing I want to mention here, we got to talk about the tight ends just because we do. That's what we do. <laughs> Uh, Darnold to Arnold. Apparently that's been a thing in practice. Apparently they have a strong connection. I'm not buying it. He, the Panthers tight end had the lowest target share in the entire league last year with 7.5 target share on the year. I just, I just don't think there's enough at all in this offense for Dan Arnold to kind of walk in and be some sort of value. I think he'll have one or two games where it's like, Oh look, Darnold, he's, he's there. Darnold and Arnold. We'll hear, we we'll hear uh, Joe Buck say it at least once. That's my prediction. Darnold to Arnold <laughs> in the end zone. <laughs> we'll get one of those for the year. But uh, is there any appeal here with Darnold to Arnold? Is that going to be a thing in 2021? Right. So, again, I'm bullish on this passing offense, unfortunately. So unfortunately. When, when, I'm, when I'm doing these drafts, I'm drafting for the upside case as if I'm right. As so, if, what if Sam Darnold – isn't broken and actually thrives in Joe Brady's system. If that's the case, you know, you're projecting more, a higher pass rate, you're projecting more efficiency, you're projecting a better offense as a whole. So with my thesis of being bullish on this passing offense, it would probably be ignorant for me to just ignore Dan Arnold at the end of drafts. I've been taking him with uh, Sam Darnold stacks in best ball in the 18th round season long. Um, I'm not drafting him at all, but I think he's a name we should be looking out for on the waiver wire if you decide to be a little weak on tight end after your draft. Because, I mean, this offense, it's on paper, it's Sam Darnold, it's ugly. But if we're wrong, if the whole general fantasy community is wrong and Sam Darnold revives revives his career and goes nuclear, all these pass catchers are going to be absolute value at ADP. So, yeah, I'm not drafting him in season long. I am keeping an eye out for him, though. I know uh, he had a pretty high A dot last year on deep passes. It was like around 27 yards, which is just, you know, that, that's ridiculous. ridiculous. He has, <laughs> yeah, he has big play ability. Uh, I know he was with Joe Brady a little bit in New Orleans before he got traded to uh, to Arizona last season. So there is some chemistry there. Uh, I, get, I guess this is really just me backing up my Sam Donald thesis and just really – God, I, the more I talk about it, the more I realize I'm probably screwed. But I, I just gotta take the <laughs> gotta take the dart throws. Hey man, let me tell you, if Sam Donald goes off, everybody's gonna 
you know, everybody's going to point the finger at you. They're going to be like, this is the guy. This is, <laughs> this is not the, something the, I want to The lone Sam on. Darnold lover. This is, this is <laughs> that's him. He's the one. David's the one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not super excited about him. Keep an eye out for him, but some big playability, like you said, a couple spike weeks here and there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So that was the Carolina Panthers. I believe we hit on everything there. We're going to move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not much has changed since last year, except Tom Brady turned 44 years old. So happy birthday to the GOAT. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have Tom as a top 10 quarterback, borderline top 10 quarterback right now. He just, simply enough, pliability. He hasn't slowed yeah. down. <laughs> he has not slowed down at all. He's got Mike Evans. He's got Chris Godwin. He's got Antonio Brown, all healthy, all playing this year. He's got OJ Howard coming back. He's got a good enough running back group. He's now familiar with the offense, which is at least what he said he struggled with until the second half of the year. So, you know, he obviously zero rushing upside, but I don't know. I, I think Brady's worth taking a shot at in the, as like the 10th or 11th quarterback being taken off the board, he's going to produce and he's going to put up numbers each week. He's going to make good decisions. And ultimately uh, it's kind of like Donald to the point where like the receivers can do a lot of the work to where Brady kind of just has to put it in the right spot. And Mike Evans will jump up for it. Chris Godwin will, you know, take it up the slant and run for a touchdown and Antonio Brown in the slot or whatever he ends up lining up to rack up these catches and make the play. So you don't really have to do all that much if you're Brady. How, how do you feel about Brady? Is he someone that you're drafting in redraft or is he just, is there a higher upside elsewhere? You know, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's Tom. So you always, there's always that 1% outlier outcome where he just comes out and just does his thing. You know, uh, the man with zero rushing upside, I, I just can't pull the trigger. You're basically banking on him to, for the bucks to continue to have a high uh, pass rate and for him to throw for 40 touchdowns and 4,000 yards again. Is it possible? Certainly. But I'd much rather, you know, take Trey Lance and then take Sam Darnold at the end of the draft yep. and bank on that being my QB than, you know, taking Tom and the floors. It's just not pretty. You know you can get it done, but, I mean, for all we know, this uh, – I mean, they were so pass-heavy last year. I mean, for all we know, Ronald Jones and Fournette, you know, they get an uptick in carries, and Tom Brady's passing attempts get cut by 10%. You know, that's a big hit True. on his overall projection because he you, you're banking on him being efficient and him putting up these high touchdown, high yardage games. So it's just – the ceiling is just so hard to replicate when you're going against another rushing QB that also has the throwing upside that he has. Um, from a real life standpoint, I obviously you, you can't doubt Ton. Go. Fantasy, I'm probably I'm probably fading him. Not fading him, just uh, I'm not targeting him. Yeah. So Tom for me kind of lies in that area where like I wouldn't take the quarterback, right? So like if I want to spend that high draft capital on a quarterback, it's going to be a Jalen Hurts. It's going to be Justin Herbert. It's going to be Russell Wilson. It's going to be someone of that respect in the sixth, seventh round. Um, Tom Brady in that ninth to 10th round is just at that point, I'd rather wait for a guy like Trey Lance, like you said, or do what I said, do Cam Newton and Trey Lance or Sam Darnold, Justin Fields, Sam Darnold, Trey Lance kind of take that route. I feel like that's just such a better and easier route. And the upside is probably higher at that point. So 
I don't think I'm mm-hmm. going to end up with Tom on any of my teams unless I'm doing a two quarterback or super flex. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I don't want to spend up for those quarterbacks and I want to wait a little bit. And Tom's at the right spot. I could pair him with someone like Sam Darnold. I think that'd be fine because I think he's still going to be consistent. It's just mm-hmm. about if you, you want a ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want a ceiling. So <laughs> I'm okay with Tom. Uh, I want to talk about these running backs real quick. So Fournette in the latest depth chart release was projected to be the one a, or at least be the starter. But ultimately I think Fournette is going to be the odd man out and I might be in the minority minority here, but Mm -mm. I mean, Ronald Jones far and away the better runner. And then Giovanni Bernard, he's a great pass catcher. But one thing that Fournette struggles with is pass protection. Fournette really struggles with pass protection Ronald Jones also struggles with pass protection. Giovanni Bernard is one of the best in the league. Me as a Joe Mixon truther, I've been waiting for Mixon to get his opportunities after all these years. Yeah. And the reason he hasn't is because Gio's just so good at what he does. He, he's not this over-the-top elite talent, but he's just a solid pass protector. And I think that that's something that Tom Brady's really going to value. So if it comes to early downs, comes to goal line work, Rojo's going to be the guy. When it comes to passing down work, just from a playmaking standpoint, Rojo, I mean, uh, Fournette might have that role. But at the same time, if, if Tom Brady's going to throw a deep, Giovanni Bernard's going to be the one on the field. So it's going to be tough for Fournette to be any sort of consistent. I think he's being drafted too high right now. Not that I'm necessarily targeting Gio, because, again, I don't know what the splits between him and Fournette for that passing down work is going to be. But I do think Gio is going to have a role in this offense, especially as a pass protector. So how do you feel about these three guys? Um, are, are you with Fournette, against Fournette? From, from your reactions, I see you're kind of on the same page as me here. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a Rojo lover, man. I, man, I don't even want to get too deep into him. But <laughs> he, could, he could really be one of those running backs that can cement himself as one of those elite rushers. Um, not in the Nick Chubb, you know, J.K. Dobbins range, but, you know, just below that, um, he does have a little bit of passing upside. I do agree Uncle Lenny is the odd man out. Now, I like how you mentioned Gio Bernard. Man, last season it seems like the Bucks were just all about bringing in veteran guys and yeah. using them correctly. And this season they bring back Gio Bernard, or not bring back, they bring in who was seventh in pass blocking last year. You know Tom loves that. Tom has been hyping him up a fuck ton in camp. So you know those beat riders are going crazy. I mean, I, I just feel like this is what they tried to do with Shady last year. And Shady was complete dust. Yep. I don't think Gio Bernard's complete dust. And he will have a good role cemented in this offense. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is, you know, Tom Brady got off to a slow start last season. They're bringing back all 22 starters they can come out and just, you know, they can just be clicking off the rip. If that's the case, you know, Tom Brady's pass rate is probably going to be lowered a little bit. And the rushing attempts, just because of game script, is going to get brought up a bit. You know, Ronald Jones, you know, if you're drafting Ronald Jones right now and he does exactly what he did last year, you're probably going to be pretty happy. But, man, his upside case where, one, if any of those running backs get hurt, or two, if the Bucks aren't as pass heavy as we anticipate them to be, Man, it can be a total smash spot for Ronald Jones leading. I mean, he can easily go for a thousand yards and, you know, almost double digit touchdowns in this offense. Um, I don't want a lot of Uncle Lenny. I, I just, I didn't, man, he had his great playoff run. But man, I, I almost thought he was going to get cut in December had Ronald Jones not get yeah. cut. Yeah. 
you know, he I was, that was a big talk, whether he's going to be traded, cut, whatever. Yeah. And then he came off and was playoff Lenny and then Super Bowl Lenny. And, you know, he had a great run, but Ronald Jones is just the alpha of this. He's the one A of this offense. And then with Gio being such a good blocker and so reliable, like Tom likes, that's really hurting uh, Leonard Fournette's projection. So as it stands, I'm fading Fournette. I'm taking all the Ronald Jones shares in the world. And then I like Gio Bernard on like Gio RB teams as a, like a dart throw towards the end of the draft. Yeah. And I think the way it's going to play out is uh, Lenny's going to get his first couple games being mild, you know, he's going to be involved, but it's going to take one missed block as we've seen with Bray. It's going to take one missed block and then he's off the field and then it's going to be Gio and that's going to be end of Lenny. So that's how I feel about these running backs. We're pretty much on the same page there. Uh, wide receivers, Evans and Godwin in that third, fourth round range, not feeling too hot about that, especially you mentioned if this offense does click from the start, there might be less pass attempts in this offense. But what I do like is taking Antonio Brown in the eighth, ninth round. I mean, when if you really look at the situation last year, in that final stretch of four games, when all three of these guys were on the field, Antonio Brown was the number one, right? Even in parts of the playoffs, Antonio Brown was the number one. So he had 14.6 points per game last year. And in the last three or what is it? Last four weeks, as I mentioned, um, Mike Evans had 28 targets. Chris Godwin had 24 targets. Antonio Brown had 32. Mike Evans had 18.3 points per game. Chris Godwin had 17 points per game. And Antonio Brown had 20.1 points per game in that final four game stretch. And obviously it's a small sample size and those other numbers with 18.3 and 17 is still pretty good. But ultimately the guy with 20 points per game in the last couple of games is being drafted five rounds after Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. He has similar upside with little to no risk at where he's being drafted as opposed to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin with all the risk. And they're kind of being drafted at their ceilings at that point. So it's kind of a flip-flop situation I'm 100% taking Antonio Brown in the 8th, ninth, as opposed to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. In all the drafts I've done, all the mocks I've done, I have not yet considered Mike Evans or Chris Godwin in that range. And I have a couple, you know, a, a good amount of Antonio Brown shares. So what are your feelings on this wide receivers? Out of your 795 best ball leagues, how many, <laughs> how many of these do you have, Evans? How many of these, Godwin? What's, what's the breakdown here? Right, so... I basically agree with you on everything uh, between nice. Godwin and Evans. I knew it was uh, good to bring you on here. I knew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> between Godwin and Evans, I'm personally on Godwin train. You know, Evans was just, I mean, historically efficient on the touchdown run last season. He had, uh, including the playoffs, what, that'd be 20 games with Tom Brady and he scored 15, 16 touchdowns. That, that's what, uh, it's like nuts. a 12%, <laughs> it's it's like a 12% <laughs> TD rate. Yeah, I think if I'm doing that, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, that's in the a tier of like, you know, Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams. And these wide receivers aren't in a situation where they also have a stud like Chris Godwin. I, I mean, you have Kelsey, but and then you would also also don't have Hemi, Hemothy, Antonio Brown. Man, I love this man so much. And like you said, his upside is insane. His floor is insane. And if anything were to happen to either Godwin or Evans, man, he's going to be an absolute smash spot for his ADP right now. 
Um, it's hard to bark at argument against Evans. You know, he's had a thousand, seven thousand yard seasons. You know, he's always touchdown friendly. Um, obviously, more appealing in standard leagues, but man, he. I think people forget about this. I think it was week 16 against the Lions last year. You know, they were up like 40 to seven or something. And the game was just, it was over. And Mike Evans, I mean, Tom was just peppering Mike Evans with targets, giving him, you know, that those yards to hit the thousand yards. I mean, he, he went for 12, 181 and two. I mean, they were up 40 to seven. Uh, was that going to happen if, if Tom really didn't want to, wanted to, uh, probably not. He probably would have finished under a thousand. That being said, Godwin's in a contract year. Tom safety blanket. Hemi, who has incredible upside for his draft price. I'm taking all the Antonio Brown in the world. And then if I had to choose between Godwin and Mike Evans, I'm taking Godwin. When you say Hemi, is that Antonio Brown? Yeah, Hemi. So an amazing rapper, Hemothy. That's Antonio Brown. That's what uh, that's what his album is on Spotify. Look at it. Oh, up. okay. Hemothy. And apparently Hemothy <laughs> means I'm him. Like I'm that dude. Oh, and okay. Timothy is that dude. Antonio Brown is amazing. And I'm learning a lot today. Yeah. Not only <laughs> is he an amazing receiver, he is an incredible, and I mean incredible rapper. Not actually, but man, actually. I, he's going to make me a whole lot of money this year. Oh, I Hopefully. know that one. There you yeah. go. I know that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, fun no, fact big... in, the, uh, in, in the off season, um, I, I was doing, I was interning for a company and I had the opportunity to, ask questions to some of the players in the Super Bowl over Zoom for the Super Bowl press, oh. press conference. Oh, that's right. I saw that. That was, you know, that's awesome. Good for yeah, you. Yeah, so I got to talk to Antonio Brown, Timothy himself, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I, I want every question. <laughs> I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> every question he was getting asked, he was throwing it to the side. He was, you know, it was like, I'm just here to play the game. It was like, how do you feel about your legal situation? How does it feel to get to this point? It'd be a disservice to talk about anything except this game. So I was like, all right, Antonio, I, I got picked on. I was very surprised. I didn't work for ESPN. So like, that's insane. And I was like, did you have Tom Brady's avocado ice cream? <laughs> and exactly the reaction you would think. He said, he laughed. He said, man, I can't tell you that. And that was, and he was like, next question. <laughs> I was like, yeah. great. I had an awesome interaction with Tony Brown. I don't know what the point of that was. I just thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> you know, something that the field is just underrating a lot is the roommate narrative. You know, Tom Brady has gone out of his way multiple times to go and get him. You know, a couple of years ago in New England, let him stay at his house with his family, with his kids, and yeah. then recruits him to Tampa and lets him do the same thing. You have to be super affectionate for someone who is in that much legal trouble, who just to say, recently, hey, come live with my kid. <laughs> yeah. To say, hey, come with my kid. I mean, you got to be you got to be the real deal to take the high risk with your family. And I mean, I mean, the roommate narrative, that is worth something, at least a couple of spots up in projections or stat lines. It's a real thing. So, I mean. I can't say enough good things about him besides who he is as a person, but I want all of him. And, you know, a lot of people think that Tom Brady left New England because they cut Antonio Brown. 
not not just being the sole reason, but played a big part in the fact that he wanted him to stick around, regardless of the allegations, or at least give him a fair chance or re-sign him or whatever the case. So, I love how Aaron Rodgers does almost the same thing, and everyone just thinks this dude is just a complete douche, and then Tom <laughs> does it secretly, and everyone's like, "I love you, Tom." <laughs> so, like, <laughs> Tom keeps winning. That's why. <laughs> yeah, he has an excuse. But yeah, yeah. Uh, in conclusion, yep. not big fan of Edmonds or. Uh, I, I do like Godwin, just the price is, you know, you're drafting him at his ceiling almost. Yeah. Um, but Hemi, uh, give me, give me Hemi. Give me Hemi. Yeah, there you go. Give me Hemi. That could be your, <laughs> your other thing. Sam Darnold lover and then give me Hemi. That's all David does here. Um, the last piece uh, we got to talk about here with the Bucks is the tight end. So Rob Gronkowski, to our surprise, was actually pretty good last year. I mean, throughout the year, he had a lot of big games. Um, now, O.J. Howard coming off that injury, I, I haven't even looked into how ready he is, but uh, Cameron Brate is still there, and they have all three wide receivers healthy. Regardless, I think Gronk can still finish in the top 15. His top 10, top five days are over. We know that. Hmm. But top 15 is not out of the question just because of how easy it is to happen, right? I mean – we have we just need to rely on Gronk and Brady having five or six good plays, you know, in five or six different games. I mean, one game where Gronk catches two touchdowns and another game where he catches one and another game where he gets a long touchdown. Their chemistry is just out of this world to the point where he's definitely worth taking a stab on at the end of your draft. He's not going to be consistent. And we know that, but at the same time, like, he could easily be a top 10 guy just based on his chemistry with Brady and he's going to have big games no matter what. So I, I don't think I'm necessarily drafting Gronk or it's tough. It's tough. It's going to take some injuries for him to become consistent. If you want a high upside guy at the end of your draft as a backup tight end, I'm okay with Gronk, but he's definitely not the same Gronk he was. Yeah. So there's, there's two arguments with Gronk. You can either say, Man, he's entering his 32-year-old uh, age 32 season, uh, so he's going to be completely dust. Or you can change that narrative and say, man, he's had a year to acclimate to this offense and playing football again, yeah. and now he's going on to year two. Is he going to be better than he was last year? Can you make that argument? Maybe. A lot of people are forgetting which tight end led the league in targets or led the team in targets last year before he got hurt, and that was O.J. Howard. Yep. And – Maybe some of that had to do with Gronk just starting out slow and coming back to football. But man, OJ Howard's draft capital from a talent perspective, he, I would rather take a stab on him over Gronk just because the uncertainty. And man, if OJ Howard comes back from this Achilles, I think it's Achilles comes back. I think it was an ACL, wasn't it? Achilles? ACL? Okay. Um, that'd be better. Yeah, that would but, be better. <laughs> um, if he came back and was just efficient like he was before he got hurt, you know, you're looking at a really nice start throw that can produce a lot. He also is pretty elite in terms of yards per route run, which we both know is a stat that dictates Howard. Or uh, Howard. Okay. Uh, I think it was two. I'll pull up the number in a sec. But he was extremely efficient when he was on the field and when he got opportunity. So with the young age and the draft capital. I'm liking OJ Howard more as a dart throw. I'm probably not drafting Gronk regardless if he's in the 15th round or whatever. I would much rather take 
myself a much more higher upside guy. And God, if Gronk were to get hurt as he always does, um, man, we're looking at a smash spot for OJ Howard too. So, I mean, both these tight ends, they're not pretty. You're not, you're not happy drafting them, but if I had gun to my head, I, I would prefer to take the OJ Howard route. And Cam Braid's going to get two or three touchdowns too. <laughs> just, Dude, yeah, that too. It, it's, just, because, it's just a mess. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of know what you're getting with Gronk. It, it could be ugly, but it's just a situation to avoid probably as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And I just checked, I believe it was an Achilles, uh, Achilles, yeah. Achilles injury okay, for so. OJ Howard. So not good. <laughs> he has been talked up as a big weapon by bruce arians and bruce arians is usually there ah, they're tight ends they're just there to block so <laughs> that's pretty high praise so we'll, we'll see what happens but we got one more team here the last team we have the atlanta falcons the atlanta falcons we get to talk about matt ryan without julio jones um enter kyle pitts exit julio jones how do we feel about matt ryan he's not someone i'm targeting for me personally um this is he's not going to have the dirt cutter throw the ball 87 times a game and just see what happens type deal Mm -hmm. and especially without julio there i just think matt ryan takes a step back we've seen in years where i I remember before last year the odd even stat the odd even stat exactly that (laughs) and a lot of that correlated with his first year with an offensive coordinator as opposed to a second year when he would blow up so the odd even has died down since then, but um, now he's got a new offensive coordinator with Arthur Smith, who is also the head coach. I, I just don't know how this offense is going to look. I think he's going to be more efficient. He's not going to be as turnover worthy, but still, we don't even know. So I, I'm avoiding Matt Ryan. I think he's still got that upside to get 30 plus points on any given week. But what do you, how do you feel about this offense? How, how do you feel about Matt Ryan specifically? Yeah. Okay. So, um, in general, I'm fading players like Matt Ryan and Tom Brady, just the QBs that don't have that elite rushing upside. That being said, if this market is valuing, valuing Calvin Ridley as a wide receiver one, an elite one, and then is valuing Kyle Pitts as a close to elite tight end one, and then Mike Davis, who we saw was incredible pass catching last year. You know, he's not sexy. He's not efficient, but He'll catch passes and he'll make people miss. So if this market is valuing all these players where they're getting drafted at, and Matt Ryan is getting drafted as a low end or like a mid QB two, that pricing seems off. If Calvin Ridley really is the wide receiver one and Kyle Pitts really is a unicorn and goes off and Mike Davis does what he did last year and more and catches a bunch of passes, this personnel is lining up to be, which should be an extremely pass-heavy offense. I know that with Arthur Smith, we're just like, yeah, he loves to run the ball. Uh, He loves his play action. But, man, you have the big dog. It's kind of hard to to run that same offense when your lead back is is Mike Davis and Quadre Olsen and Javavi and Hawkins. Their personnel setups were Matt Ryan should throw 50 times a game. And, man, if that's the case – if the market really is efficient and valuing these players, Matt Ryan's going to be a steal at his ADP. It won't be sexy, but he will vastly outperform it. If we're all right on this Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, Mike Davis ADP. If not, then it's a different story. But 
Matt Ryan should be getting drafted higher based off where his teammates are getting drafted, in my opinion. Sure. I, I, I can get him more with that. I don't think I'm necessarily targeting him. But yeah, again, I'm not targeting kind of, him either. But yeah, he, just the upside is there for this offense to explode. And man, we can see them be top, top three, top five in pass rate. And, you know, they don't have a good defense and they're in a division that is presumably going to have a lot of shootouts minus the yeah. Saints. So with all that baked into the formula, I'm not happy taking Matt Ryan, but I mean, I'll, I'll take him at the right price. Um, yeah. And to, to credit what you said about Arthur Smith, I mean, yes, he was run heavy with Derrick Henry. Oh yeah. With Derrick Henry, but like there's no Derrick Henry on this team. And Arthur Smith has said himself, his philosophy isn't necessarily run heavy. It's more so just kind of using your players to do the best you can. And the players that are the best in this team is Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley. And those are the guys that you want to get the ball in their hands. So he's not going to force run it with Mike Davis 30 times a game, just because that's what he wants to do. <laughs> that's not, yeah. that's not what this offense is going to look like. So uh, I agree with that. Let's talk about Calvin Ridley. So recently in, in a interview, he said his foot's good. He, he that's, you know, simply put his foot's good. Uh, he had, 20 over 20 points per game without Julio. He was the wide receiver three when Julio was not on the field. Um, I mean, could Calvin Ridley finish as the wide receiver one this year? I, all right. So I've already made my bets for Calvin Ridley to lead the league in uh, receiving yards and to win offensive player of the year. I think his upside is that insane. And it's certainly in his range of outcomes where we can see, and have like a Devontae Adams type season. Sure. Man, without Julio Jones there, he leads the league in air yards by a significant margin. He's just a target monster. His A dot is absolutely absurd for how many targets he's getting. He's getting targets, valuable targets deep downfield, and he's getting a lot of them. And the offense that projects to be supposed maybe pass heavy with a defense that is nowhere near where it should be. With all that coming together, Calvin really should absolutely smash. I mean, I personally am taking him over Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins. And sometimes I think about taking him over uh, Tyree Kill. Ooh. I just, man, the, the ceiling is so, I mean, obviously Tyreek possesses that as well, but man, we can see something absolutely crazy come out of Calvin Ridley. And man, last year he put up 90 receptions for 1300 yards and, well, like nine touchdowns, and he was on a bad foot, apparently. If he comes out this season and this team really is pass-heavy and he's healthy, man, I he, he might break some records, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I am a little cautious about the amount of injuries he's had and, you know, his overall size and can he handle being a wide receiver one. I, I mean, talent-wise, there's zero question. There's zero question that Calvin Ridley is going to lead this offense. And if he plays 17 games, I'll mark him up for a top two season. And in terms of wide receivers, um, that's just kind of where my caution comes from. Uh, I, I still love him as like a top five, top six, top seven wide receiver. So zero problem with that. Uh, moving on to the running backs here, Mike Davis. And a lot of people seem to think that Mike Davis is going to come in and he's going to get outplayed by Javian Hawkins, Caleb Huntley, Quadri Allison, all these guys are super, super talented, just sitting behind Mike Davis, waiting for their opportunity. 
no, that's not the case. Look, Cal- Mike Davis is not going to be outplayed by these guys. Uh, he's clearly the best pass catching back in this backfield. He had one drop last year. He had 284 routes that he ran, which was the eighth most for any running back. Um, and as a runner, I mean, he had 72 evaded tackles, which was among within the top 10, 32.1% juke rate. He had a, and look, here's really what kind of brought him down last year in efficiency. The Panthers offensive line was not great, first of all. And second of all, he saw the six most stacked boxes in the entire league. So on 37.6 of his carries, he saw eight or more men in the box. So he did not have a lot of free running room. It wasn't a it, it wasn't a great offensive line to give him that room. He's not a guy who's going to take that top off of a defense. He's more of a I, I kind of see him as like a bowling ball, right? When you have like a you know those things that they put up, like the racks and what is that called? Like the the rails? The, yeah. Or like the a, rails? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever they're called. When you're bowling and you suck at it, so they put those things on the side. It's kind of like the ball bouncing on each of those sides. Like, boing, boing, boing. That's kind of how <laughs> I imagine Mike Davis. And it's going slowly, but it's getting to where it needs to be. That's who I imagine Mike Davis being. But he is, a, you know, he is quick on his feet. And I mentioned his high juke rate. I mentioned his evaded tackles. So, you give him a situation like Gurley last year. He saw the 36 most stacked boxes. So on 19, only 19% of his plays, he saw a stacked box. And I feel like a lot of that was because it's Gurley and he didn't really have much in him. If you saw in that backfield, you knew what to prepare for. But this is going to be a pass-heavy team. Mike Davis is not going to see a lot of stacked boxes. At the very best, I mean, this I, I rarely talk about the upside for an offensive line. But the Falcons have a lot of good pieces on that line. If they can all play together as a unit, this could be a top 10 offensive line in the league. So, I, look, Mike Davis, take a stab on him. This is a potential workhorse in the fifth round that you can get. He's going to get being heavily involved in the passing game. He could be a top 15 guy when the season's all said and done. So I, I'm I'm fine taking Mike Davis this year. How do you feel about him? Yeah, Uh I pretty much agree with everything you just said. I'm not super excited taking him. I just mostly because I just prefer the receivers going around him. Yeah. But man, the absolute bull case for Mike Davis is he has an outlier season where he has, you know, the 2015 Devontae Freeman season where, you know, he's getting a lot of the high value touches. He's getting all the goal line carries. He's getting a hell of a ton of targets. Those are the touches we want when playing fantasy. So is he efficient as a runner? No, he's never been. He's a five. He's been on five teams. He's a journeyman. He's 28 years old. But man, I don't really care about his rushing. His like little literal up rushing upside when you're looking at how many targets he can potentially get and how many goal line carries he can get yeah. in an offense that can throw the ball and score a ton. So yeah, I'm on the Mike Davis wave. I'm not fading him. I just prefer some of the receivers around him. But yeah, bull case he can he can be our. It just cut out real quick. RB one this season, no competition. What's up? Okay. Um, no, you're longer. just cutting out for a second. The last thing we heard was um, he could be an RB one. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Bold case. Just, yeah. Just um, did you hear the Devonte Freeman stuff or? Yeah, I heard the. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't even know how far back I was. Yeah. But yeah, that's basically it. He can, with those high value touches in this offense, he can certainly project to be an RB1. Awesome. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'm 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 on a similar page. Uh last guy we gotta talk about here, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, the unicorn. Um, so if you look up any stats about rookie tight ends, they'll all tell you not to draft a rookie tight end as a top five guy. But he's not a tight end, he's a weapon, he's a unicorn. He is he's gonna be so much more than a tight end for this team, and he couldn't have walked into a better situation and a better scheme for tight ends. I mean, he's walking into a situation, as you said, there's a ton of vacated targets with Julio not there. He's going to be a compliment to Calvin Ridley. Um, There's a 28.5% target share to tight ends last year in Tennessee, which is now the same scheme that Arthur Smith is going to run. So, you know, I just, especially, he's just so talented, man. He's just a generational type of tight end. And, he's going to be so much more than just a tight end for this team. I, I don't even know what else to really add to it. It's not hard to be a top five tight. I think that the fifth highest tight end last year had like 12 or 11 points per game. I think Calvin Ridley can beat that as a rookie pretty easily. I, th- I think he could be a top five guy. All right. There's a lot of arguments for and against Kyle Pitts for him on the bull case. One of them is that he gets Arthur Smith, takes him fourth overall, as a coach who loves tight ends, has coached tight ends his whole life, and is going to use him a ton. I think the narrative that, oh, first-round tight ends don't ever make a splash in the NFL, you cannot compare Kyle Pitts to data that goes back 20 years where pass rates were significantly lower than they are now, and tight ends were used completely different as they are today. Kyle Pitts can come out and basically be a wide receiver labeled as a tight end. His price tag is a little steep, and I was on him a lot before the Julio Jones trade, just in case he did get traded. But now at this price tag in the fourth, fifth round term, Kyle Pitts can come out, have a historic rookie tight end season, and play amazing. But will that be enough for him to be catapulted into the elite, elite tight end one range with Kelsey, Kittle, and Waller? I'm not too sure. It's really hard to get to that level, and it is possible that he just goes completely nuclear and does join him. Is that worth the opportunity cost of taking him around four slash five? I'm not really sure. I, it's just hard to pull the trigger then, especially after I got so many shares of him before the Julio trade. Maybe I'm just a little biased because of that, but I think there's a, it's a very possible scenario where Cal Pitts just does amazing, but he doesn't quite get you to that Kelsey tier. Kittle, Waller tier of tight ends. So if he falls to me in a draft, I'll definitely take a stab at him. I'm certainly not reaching on him. um, And I may not take him right at ADP, but man, if Kyle Pitts is legit, he can, you know, he can, he belongs in that tier with Kelsey and the rest of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, So I I like what you said about the ADPs. Um, I, I do have TJ Hawkinson one spot over Kyle Pitts. And okay, for me, wow, T.J. Hawkinson okay. is a guy that you can get a round or two later than that. Mm-hmm. And just based off pure volume alone, I think Hawkinson is going to be great value this year. So in that case, like, I don't think it, I don't have any shares of Kyle Pitts right now, just based on the fact that he's being drafted way too early. And there's that one guy in every league that's like, oh, beginning exactly. of the fourth Someone round. I love this him guy. For him. Yeah. I just don't know if the opportunity cost is there. Yep. <laughs> yep. So. I 100% agree on that. So that's going to round out the NFC South. Um, 
Thank you so much again, David, for hopping on with me and going over the NFC South. Um, you can find me on Instagram at fantasy.football.analyst. David on Instagram, he helps out with the upper hand fantasy page. You also help out with Establish the Rush. Where, where can you find their content? Right. So if you want to find me, just, you know, hit up for Oz on upper end fantasy, all that stuff. And then uh, I also work at ETR Savage to Run uh, on all social platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, definitely check us out if you're trying to really get into best ball or daily fantasy. We are incredible with all projections and all context over there. Um, Thank you, Joe, for having me on the show. It was a blast. You know, I can talk about football for, God, another 12 hours if we really wanted to. But, uh, yeah, that was a nice discussion on some NFC South players. Awesome. So, next week for you guys, I'm not sure what me and Faraz have planned. We can, this, this was the last part of our going over every single division series. So, next week we're going to have to think of something. It might be sleepers. It might be some training camp. It might be some Q&A, something like that. But, We'll have something for you guys next week, so stay tuned for that. Thank you again, David, and we'll see you guys next time.